seated. Psalm 142 tonight, Psalm 142. Last week, we started looking at David. Run from Saul. Everything went well at first. David went into Saul's house. Then David defeated Goliath, and Saul loved him, thought he was a great guy. And, and then Saul began to realize, uh, this guy is more popular than I am. Remember, they sang... Uh, on the way home from the battle, Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And the thought occurred to him, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul became very jealous of David. Now, he had reason to be jealous. God had anointed David as king. Saul doesn't know that. Uh, <clears throat> but David is the anointed king. He's the one that's going to come uh, on board as king. And Saul has been removed because of his disobedience and his rebellion. And God sought him a man after his own heart. And David is that man after God's own heart. Not a perfect man, uh, <clears throat> but a man that would trust God and depend upon God and walk with God and seek to please God rather than the people. All right. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to co- cover several chapters. We're going to cover from chapter 23 up to tw- chapter 27. In fact, chapter 21 uh, up to 27 tonight, right? So um, that could take us a long time. So we're not going to look at all those verses, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to go to Psalm 142. And then we're just going to, we're, we're going to capture a couple of things uh, from that time period. But the time period we're looking at is this in David's life, where he becomes public enemy number one. Right? He becomes the most hated and sought-after man in all of Israel. Saul hates him, and he devotes all his energy and all the energies of the army of Israel to getting David and to destroying David. Now, that would rattle you. It wouldn't matter who you were. That would rattle you. Right? Uh, Saul has no reason uh, to go after David. He has no, <clears throat> that, that David's done nothing wrong as far as Saul is concerned. We'll see that too. We'll take a glimpse at that too. Uh, <clears throat> but Saul is paranoid. Saul is in deep trouble with the Lord, and he's in deep trouble spiritually and mentally at this point, and David becomes public enemy number one. Now, we looked last week. God had a plan and all that. God was doing a work in David's life. He was bringing David to a place where he could be used of God. Uh, He was bringing David to a place where uh, God could actually take him and make him the man he wanted him to be, the king he wanted him to be. And so none of it was wasted. All of it was essential in David's life. The real loser in all of this is Saul because Saul is destroying himself and making it worse for himself. Really, if God had taken Saul, the moment Saul, uh, Saul's disobedience uh, with the Amalekites, if God had taken him home, it would have been a whole lot better for him. If he had just removed him. But God didn't. God took and God uh, used him to develop David. So what we have is we have, you might say, David in the greenhouse. <clears throat> he's in the greenhouse. He's going to grow. He's going to grow very fast. He's not going to get it all right. He's going to miss out on a couple of things, um, but God's going to take him and God's going to uh, use this time in his life uh, to greatly help him and enable him to be the king he wants him to be. All right, then let's read our psalm and then we'll have a word of prayer. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him, I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion 
in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name for the, thy righteous, for the righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? And Lord, would you bless us in it, Lord, and stir our hearts and help us to see how we can uh, deal with difficult times in our lives too. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have you ever had a point in your life where somebody disliked you for no reason? Somebody had an extra grind with you for no reason. As far as you knew, there was nothing, uh, no reason for them to do it, but they had taken an, an axe to you and they were going to go after you and they were going to push you and they were going to do all that they could to hurt you. That's where David is. Now, the, the problem for David is that David has been anointed king. God has said, David, you're going to be king. He's been put in that place where he's been told he's going to be king, and he knows he's going to be king, but it's not looking very, very hopeful at this point. At this point, David's in a place where, you know, <clears throat> um, it, it gets really bad. Do you know that God sometimes does that? God sometimes makes it much worse before he makes it better. And the, the frustrating thing for us on this side of it is that he doesn't tell us what he's doing. He doesn't necessarily tell us, well, you know, I'm going to make this, this really bad for you, and then I'll make it better. No, he, he just takes us through it. Nobody told David. Samuel came to David and anointed him uh, king. That was great. That was wonderful. And, uh, <clears throat> but Samuel didn't come and say, oh, and by the way, Dave, you're going to have these number of years where things are going to get really rough for you, but don't worry about it. You'll come through it. Right? So David is left to go through all of this. And really, what he's got to do is he's got to grow deep in his faith. He's got to learn to trust God during this time. Because if he doesn't trust God, he's going to go down. He's going to sink. He's going to be destroyed uh, if he doesn't go down. And he's got to grow. Now, as we said before, he didn't get it all right. He misses out on a couple of things. Uh, in it. But God helps him. God, God works him through it anyway. And you know, you're not perfect. You're not going to get it perfect. But you know, God will take and God will work you through it. All right, now... Uh, verse 1 says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Now, let me tell you why David is crying unto the Lord, right? Um, by the way, this is a, is a psalm, that, a prayer when he was in the cave. Now, which cave was he in? Lots of caves. Uh, he did a lot of hiding out in caves uh, during that period because he was, he, he was a dangerous man. But, but, but let me just go through briefly through the history. I'm not going to look up all the verses, uh, but we're going to go through the history. You can write, uh, write stuff down if you want, right? Uh, first of all, David flees from pa David's palace to Gebeah, uh, to, from, at Gebeah to Samuel in Ramah. First of all, he goes to Samuel. And then, then, then Jonathan entices him back and says, look, my dad, he's not, I've talked to him. He won't hurt you. There's no reason to hurt you. He won't hurt you. Come back. So, so <clears throat> David, um, goes back. And, and when David goes back, uh, Saul tries his antics again. He, <clears throat> one day they're sitting at dinner and Saul takes a javelin to throw it at David. And David says, he is going to kill me. I am telling you, he is going to kill me. And so, so Jonathan, uh, David's friend, Saul's son, says to him, now listen, <clears throat> hold on a minute. I will talk to my dad. You say, yeah, you, you stay away for a few days. I will talk to my dad. I will see what's going on. And I'm telling you, if he's going to hurt you, I will let you know. Right? So they have a signal. They're going. So, so Jonathan goes and talks to his dad after a couple of days about David. And um, <clears throat> Saul says he wants David dead. And Jonathan says, why? What has he done? And Saul flies into a rage. And he tries to kill Jonathan as well. Right? Well, Jonathan knows. You know what? There is no good 
for David in this situation. He goes out and tells David, and they weep, uh, and they separate, and David goes on the run, right? Now, the first place he goes is, <clears throat> he goes to uh, Nob, where he eats the bread <clears throat> uh, there with the, pri- the priests give him bread, and they give him Goliath's sword, because he hasn't got a sword, and David lies at this point. He says that he's on the king's business. Now, uh, it's kind of a bit of a stretch, now, the lie that David tells, though, this time, is actually going to cost the priests their lives. He doesn't know that at this point, but he, but, but he, he goes to them, and so he gets food for, for him and the men that are with him, and he gets a sword, and <clears throat> then he flees to the cave of Adullam, and 400 disaffected men join him. Now, let me talk to you for a moment about David's men. You know, <clears throat> we always think of leadership, particularly a leader like David. Everybody's following after him. Everybody is saying, hey, great, fantastic. Uh, you're the man, David. We all love you, and we die for you and everything else. And we do see those stories where people are willing to die for David. But that's not all that's happening. The 400 men that came down to, to, to David were all the people that were disaffected with Saul. They were outlaws. They were discontented. They were against Saul. And you know what? Saul was in, David was in opposition to Saul, so they came down uh, to be with David. Now, not the nicest characters. Not the kind of characters that you, you would want to. Uh, at one point, they're going to come to the place where they're going to want, want to stone David. Right? So this is not like, you know, like, don't we always, always think it's like Robin Hood and these merry men uh, in, in Sherwood Forest and, you know, everything is good and, good and happy? No, it's never like that. Right? Um, David's got, got 400 men, and yes, they're there to follow him, but they're there to follow David for their own ends. Right? They have their own problems, right? Um, so David then uh, seeks to go and take his family down to Moab uh, for, for, um, so they can be taken care of during this time. But Gad, the prophet, orders David back home to Judah. Don't stay here, David. You need to go back home to Judah. Now, that was important. Because if David had stayed in, in Moab, he might have been safe. In the fort in Moab, he might have been safe. But the problem for him was God had lessons for him to learn. And the lessons could only be learned in the fire. See, here's what we do sometimes. We, we almost take God out of the picture, and we want life to work nice and easy for us. We want life to work. You know, everybody in this room wants a peaceful, happy life, don't you? We, we just Listen, you know what? If everybody would just get on board and do it your way, it would be a perfect world, wouldn't it? <laughs> if everybody would just look at it from your perspective and do it the way you want it done, it would just be a perfect world. But you know, God doesn't intend that in your life. Remember, you've got this short-term happiness picture. God's got this long-term eternity picture. And he's doing things for eternity in your life. And in order for him to do the things for eternity... There needs to be difficulties now. So sometimes God leads you into trouble. God leads you into difficulty. That's what he does with David. He leads, he leads David back from, uh, from Moab into trouble. It's going to be good for David. Uh, these years were going to prepare David for the work of being a king. So it was important to him. Um, so David returns from Moab uh, to, the, to Hereth Forest, and he starts writing Psalms. Uh, and then uh, Saul kills the 85 priests at Nob. That's, that's a horrible pick. That, that's just a horrible time. Uh, Saul, Saul, Saul just goes after these priests because he finds out from Doeg that they have actually uh, helped David, and he kills all 85 of them. Now, Saul's really psychotic by this point, but he's the king. And what do you do with the king? 
Uh, he's just leading everybody to go after David. And you know what? When the priest won't toe the line, his own men won't kill the priest, but he gets Doeg to do it. So 85 priests die. Now, by the way, interesting thought. Remember, <clears throat> remember before that when it came to Eli and his sons, that, that, that God told Eli that his, his family would effectively be wiped out. There would not be a priest anymore. Those are 85 of his descendants. Abiathar is the last one, and Solomon removes him so that it's completed. It's, it, it's fu- it happens fully, uh, that, that Eli's sons are completely removed from the priesthood. You know, we, we need to remember about the God that we deal with, right? The God that we deal with is love. He doesn't, doesn't do love, he is love. But the God that we deal with is also holy, and he's righteous, and he's just. And when he says he's going to do something, he always does it. You can take comfort when he says he's going to do something good in your life. He always does it. And you need to understand that when he says he's going to do something bad in your life, he always does that too. He never, he, he doesn't shy away from it. God fulfills everything that he said he would do. <clears throat> but these 85 priests at Nob, they're going to be uh, murdered by Saul. By the way, <clears throat> here's the thing you ought to understand about God too. God will carry out his justice and hold people accountable for doing it. Saul's accountable for doing it. He shouldn't have done that. Uh, and nonetheless, it's, it's justice as far as God is concerned. Uh, then uh, Saul kills the, Gentile, uh, the Gibeonites, and then David liberates Keilah from the Philistines, but the city betrays David to Saul, and he flees. Right? He goes down, he liberates the city, and he says, okay, now I've got a place I can stay. Uh, these people are thrilled with them. He liberates them from the Philistines. The Philistines are destroying them and destroying their crops and everything else. And then Saul hears that he, he's at Keilah. And, Saul, and so David take, gets Abiathar, uh, and he gets, the, he gets Abiathar to inquire of the Lord. And he asks, will they, will they, will they throw me to Saul? And he says, yes. God says, yes, you need to go, David. So David has to go. By the way, here's the thing for David, too. Remember, David's on the run. Right? In our psalm, it says, no man cared for my soul. Now, the reason no man cared for his soul, because Saul was going to come knocking on the gates of Keilah, and he was going to say, throw me down, David, right? or I'm coming in. If I have to come in, I'm going to kill all of you. Right? So it was really not safe to befriend David during this period. So there's nobody that cares. Everybody is against, uh, <clears throat> against David. You've got a psychotic king on the throne uh, who is ready to kill everybody in sight to get at this one man. And um, so nobody's going to be David's friend. So David's going to know a lot of betrayal during this period. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so David, uh, then David lives in the hill country uh, of the wilderness of Ziph in the forest. Right now, listen, this is... Uh, <clears throat> This is David's Robin Hood days, right? <clears throat> and uh, really, the, uh, you know, probably the story of Robin Hood comes at least in part um, from David and his escapades, right? And then Saul hunts David in the wilderness of man in the in, uh, desert beside the Salt Sea. So Saul comes after David. Every time somebody comes and tells Saul David's in such and such a place, Saul saddles up the whole army, and they all go chasing down after David. Now, let's look at this one. First Samuel 23, right? First Samuel 23. And this, I think, gives you a picture of how David is doing uh, during this time. First Samuel 23. In fact, we'll look at some of the next chapter as well uh, and catch another picture. We're going to catch two pictures of where David's at. First Samuel 20, 23, um, <clears throat> verse 25. 
1 Samuel 23, verse 25. Saul also and his men went to seek him, and they told David, Wherefore he came down unto a rock, and abode in the wilderness of man. Are we there? Verse 20, chapter 23, verse 25. I'll start again. Right. Saul also and his men went to seek him, and they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock, and abode in the wilderness of man. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of man. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men went on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. Now this is a really terrifying situation. David's on one side of the mountain, and on the other side of the mountain is Saul and the army of Israel. And what happens is they actually compass David round about. They're ready to get him. How would you feel? This is the end. Some king I'm going to be. I'm going to be dead in a few minutes. This is over. This is finished. Now, David's been through trials. He's been through trials all along. And he comes to a place now where there's no way out of this one. Saul has got him. Now, can you imagine, okay, going through a situation like that? Yeah, you'd hate it. But imagine living in a situation like that, where every time you turned around, Saul was on your tail, Saul was on your case. That's why David's crying out to the Lord. That's why David, because listen, his life is in jeopardy all the time. And remember, he doesn't just have himself to look to. He has by now 600 men that are following him. (laughs) And the 400 have swollen to 600, and these men are following. He's responsible for these 600 men. So David has pressure like he can't believe. David has Saul bearing down on him, and he has pressure like you can't believe. Look what happens in the next verse, though. Uh, but there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee, and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went uh, against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place Selah. Uh, and I won't try and pronounce that word, right? Uh, and David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds at Engedi. Right, so God intervenes at the last moment. Now, listen, it's always exciting when God intervenes at the last moment. But if you get too many last moments in your life, you get pretty worn down, don't you? You know, you get too many last moments, you know what you get? And that's where David is now. You know, David's going from place to place. Saul's chasing him down. Uh, All the people in the land are watching out because everybody wants to be in with Saul. So they're all sending word of where David is. Uh, And um, David's just getting worn down with him. David's just getting worn down with it. But I want you to see the next chapter here. Because this happens twice on two different occasions, right? And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats, right? Uh, So remember, David's got 600 men. Saul's got 3,000 men. This This is not going to even be a battle, guys. Right? Saul, Saul wins hands down. Uh, and he came uh, to the sheep coats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. Now he went in to relieve himself into this cave. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. He did not know that the place he chose to relieve himself was the place where David and his men were hiding. So they're all lined up on the inside of the cave, hiding in the shadows in the cave. And Saul comes in uh, for a quiet moment by himself to relieve himself. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, and thou mayest do to him as it it seemeth 
as it shall seem good to thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. David has his chance to end it. The pressure is on. David is, has been chased from place to place. He has the chance to take it into his own hands and to end it. Now, for you and I, the idea of killing somebody like that would be pretty horrific. Okay? You know, we've never done that. We'd not be uh, up for doing that. David's a killer. Right? David, David is a killer. Remember, remember when Saul uh, said to him that he, he, he wanted him to get, four, uh, get 200 uh, foreskins of the Philistines for, or 100 foreskins of the Philistines for uh, Michal, his daughter. You know, David, David then got 200, which meant he killed 200 men. Right? <clears throat> he killed 200, 200 of the enemies of the Lord. For David, killing people is, you know, it's not a big deal. He's a warrior. Uh, <clears throat> he kills. He, <clears throat> and um, Saul is there. And David has a knife, sword, whatever in his hand. He can take his life. What would you do? I mean, Saul's your enemy. He hates you. He's trying to kill you. That's usually grounds for killing somebody, particularly for a soldier. What would you do? End it all. Finish the thing. You'd be so tempted, wouldn't you? But look what David, why David doesn't do. And this really shows the heart of David, because he'd understand this. It wasn't because David loved Saul, and it wasn't because Saul didn't deserve to die. That wasn't his issue. Look what David says. And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Oh. David's heart David feels convicted for cutting off Saul's skirt. Uh, and he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Do you know why David wouldn't do it? Because he was the Lord's anointed. David wouldn't do it because this was God's man in the situation. And even though he was, uh, he was a, a bear to himself, and certainly a bear to David, David wasn't going to do it. David wasn't going to put himself in the place of God. Uh, <clears throat> later on, he's going to put it in really brilliant words. He's going to say, his day will come. Uh, the Lord will take him, or, or he'll go in battle. Uh, <clears throat> but I won't be the one to take his life. Now, what you've got there is you've got a, a man who, though he's a warrior and ready to fight, is not willing to go against the Lord's anointed. He is just not willing to go against the Lord's anointed. Um, <clears throat> So David uh, moves again. Saul continues to chase him. Uh, <clears throat> David's going to spare Saul again. And uh, what's going to happen is Saul is going to continuously go after David until we'll, we'll look at it uh, the next time. In chapter 27, David's going to, David says, listen, there's no way out of this. Sooner or later, he's going to get me. And, you know, humanly speaking, you can understand it because it's, he's on the run. He's being hunted down all the time. Uh, sooner or later, Saul's going to get me. David's going to make one of his mistakes at that point. But we'll look at that next time. Back to Psalm 142, though, right? <clears throat> Psalm 142. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him all my trouble. Right? Now, Listen, you need to learn to do that. We need to learn to do that. David cried unto the Lord. He poured out his complaint. He showed him all his trouble. Now, do you think David knew what was going on? And God knew what was going on in David's life? Of course he did. God knew everything that was going on in David's life. Right? He knew what was happening there in David's life. He understood that. 
In fact, God is the author of what's happening in David's life. You know, God is watching over the situation. He's watching over the situation. Saul's on this side of the mountain. David's on this side of the mountain. Saul's armies are gathering around David to take David. And God says, okay, it's getting a bit close. And he creates an invasion of the Philistines over here to draw Saul away. God's watching every part of this as it unfolds. In fact, he's responsible for it. But David comes and pours out his complaint to him and tells him. Now, why? Look at the next verse. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. David's spirit is overwhelmed within him. I can't cope with this, Lord. This is too much. This is too close to the edge. This guy is going to get me. Lord, the pressure is too much. I got pressure from Saul. I got the people trying to sound me out. I got my own army giving me pressure too. Lord, I can't take all this pressure. His spirit was overwhelmed within him. Where do you go when your spirit's overwhelmed within you? What do you do with it? How, how do you deal with it? What do, you, do you switch on the box and try and blank out what's happening inside your head? What do you do with it when your spirit... Do you, do you, do you take your chosen sin and indulge in your chosen sin so, to relieve the pressure? What do you do? You know what you need to do? You need to pour out your complaint before the Lord. And you know, what's going to happen is you're going to find help in time of need. But you know what? If you don't come to him, you never get the help. You say, that's not fair. He should give me the help anyway. No, he makes the rules, not you. And the rules are, come to him in your time of need. Pour out your spirit before him. Let him know what's going on inside you. Let him know how it feels. Listen, he knows already, but he wants you to talk to him about it. And I can tell you this, though. When you do, you're going to find enormous comfort. Don't we so, sometimes want to go, we just want somebody that we can tell and that will understand. And you know, so often, particularly when you're at this level, who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? Listen, you can pour out your complaint before him. That means tell him everything. Do you know that you can get angry with God? You can get bent out of shape with God. God is not going to fall off his throne because you got bent out of shape with him. Listen, you're going to be wrong, and you're going to have to go, and you're going to have to apologize and repent because you're always wrong uh, when you get bent out of shape of God because he's good and lovely and holy and just and loving always. But you know what? The feeling for you sometimes is going to be like he's not. But engage with God wherever you're at. Talk to him about it. Take him. Take take your your problem to him. Pour out your complaint to him, right? But look what he says. Uh, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. God, you knew my path. Doesn't that help you to know that God is in it with you? You know the principal blessing in life is the presence of God. You know the principal blessing when you're in trouble is he's with me. I'm okay. You know, I know David was under pressure. But he was perfectly safe. There was not a moment when he was in danger. And you say, now, hang on a minute, Pastor. You just told us Saul's going after him with 3,000 men ready to kill him. Anytime they can get their hands on him. He was never in danger. Why? Because God was a buffer between him and Saul. God was going to take care of him. God was going to look after him. Do you know that when you bring God into your situation... You can have comfort because God will take care of you. 
Well, listen, there's times when you can't take care of yourself. There's times when you can't win yourself. There's times when you can't make it happen yourself. But God will take care of you. Bring him into the situation. God knows your way. God's asking you to bring him into your situation. Uh, Then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. You see, here's here's what what David's dealing with. The reality, if you want to call it, of his physical life is everywhere he goes, there's a trap set. Everywhere he goes, you know, somebody's laid a trap for him. The people are going to turn him in. His own people can turn on him. Saul's after him. Everywhere he goes, there's nowhere safe for him, humanly speaking. Nowhere. So when he looks at it from the human perspective, that's true. Everywhere he went, they've laid a snare for me. Verse 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Nobody cared for me. Nobody loved me. Nobody cared for me. Nobody was interested in me. Let's think about Saul and David for a second here, right? <clears throat> Saul feels the same. In fact, that's what he says uh, to his men uh, when, when they go after the priests at Nob. Right? <clears throat> he, he says this to them. He says, uh, none of you cares about me. None of you feels sorry for me. Now, what's a king doing looking for people to feel sorry for him? Right? But he's looking for people to feel sorry for him. He's looking for people to care about him. And you know what? They care about him. But no, they don't really. They fear him. He's lunatic fringe. He's psychotic. And you know, you don't know what he's going to do. So they care about him from that perspective. But you know what? Saul doesn't have a God in the situation. Saul's just got Saul. Right? David, on the other hand, is in the same place. In fact, he's in a worse place, humanly speaking, because really nobody does care about him at this point. Um, but for David... There's God in the situation. Now, you know what? I think sometimes we can be very foolish with the blessings God gives us. Do you know that God has given you a promise of his presence? And we can go through things all by ourselves. And we'll get around to God when we're done. How often when you're going through trials do you neglect even your devotions? Because, you know what, it's so hard right now. There's no way I... Listen, you need God in your trial. David finds God in his trial. <clears throat> he didn't find comfort from man. He didn't find anyone that would care about him or anybody that would help him, but he found comfort in God. No man cared for his soul. But look at verse 5. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Now, <clears throat> what does a refuge mean? A refuge is a place that you can go where you're safe. A place, can God be a place where you can go and you're safe? Yeah. There was nowhere in, on this planet that David could feel safe from Saul at this point except in God. Now you say, well, hang on a minute, Pastor. I mean, God's not here. God's in heaven. God's uh, wherever. I mean, <laughs> we know he's around, but how do we actually run to him uh, and find refuge? David said, thou art my refuge. In fact, he says it in many of the Psalms. One of the lessons David learned during this time of, <clears throat> of being chased in the wilderness is God is my refuge. God is a refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. That's what he's learning. He's learning that God is a refuge. He's learning that, yeah, nobody cares about me, but God does. I can flee to him. I can run to him. 
Now, you know what? If that's not true for you, I wonder how real your Christianity is. Now, think about it. If people are more important to you than the living God, and you can't find refuge, and you come unglued because you can't find somewhere to run to, I wonder how real your Christianity is. You see, God wants to be our refuge. The other thing he says here is, Thou art my portion. Now, he doesn't say, Thou givest me my portion. He said, Thou art my portion. Do you know that when God was dividing up the land of Israel under Joshua, he didn't give the priests any portion. Everybody else got a piece of land. Everybody else got, <clears throat> got um, uh, their own place and their own house and all the way. He didn't give them houses and cities and stuff, but he didn't give them land to grow store. And, and you know, <clears throat> that seems hard, except God says, I will be their portion. So here's what happened for the priests. God said, I will take care of you. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me give you uh, a, a, a a conundrum for you to answer, right? <clears throat> Here you are, you're one of the priests, and God comes and says to you, okay, you can have that five acres there, or I'll take care of you. Which do you want? Five acres, you know, to grow plenty of food and so on. It'll be pretty good. Five acres, or I'll take care of you. Which do you want? Half of you is going to say, yeah, well, I want the five acres. Actually, put it, in, put, it in, put it in easier terms for us. We'll go back to our million euro question, right? Uh, right? Uh, God says to you, I will take care of you and look after you, or I will give you a million euros. And you're on your own with your million euros. Not you're going to hell or anything like that, but you're on your own. You live your own life with your million euros. Now, not a hard one, isn't it? Isn't that hard? Because a million euros would be a lot of fun. A million euros you could do a whole lot of stuff with, couldn't you? But God says, no, I will take care of you, or you can have a million euros. Which do you want? Let's raise our hands. No, don't raise your hands, okay? <laughs> I don't want you to choose on this one, all right? Um, you know, but here's what God is saying to David. David, I am your portion. No, you have nothing else in Israel. You don't have a kingdom. You don't have a crown. Uh, you know, you have another man's sword that you killed. You have nothing, David, but I will be your portion. And you know what David's saying? David's saying it's more than enough, Lord. It's more than enough, Lord. You see, you might be here tonight and you might say, I have nothing. I have nothing. And God says, I am your portion. And you say, I have nothing. God says, hello? I said, I am your portion. I will take care of you. You have me. Listen, you don't have nothing. You have everything. You have everything when you have him. You see, you could have your million euros, but you know what? Sooner or later, your million euros will run out. It seems like a lot of you haven't got it. It wouldn't be so much if you had it. You know, a million euros, you, you, listen, you could work it through. You could work through it fairly quickly, and it would all be gone. But when God says, I am your portion, he says, I will take care of you. Now, is there any possibility that someday you're going to call on God and say, God, I have a need, and God's going to say, oh, I'm broke. I didn't see this one coming. Never. Never going to happen. See, if you were wise, you'd choose God as your portion over the million euros because he can take care of you. He can take care of you no matter what. That's what David does. David says, thou art my refuge. I'm going to flee to you. I'm going to run to you. I'm going to be safe in you, Lord, and you are my portion. 
I am, I have enough, Lord. You are my portion. Now, David is wonderful for doing this. By the way, when you pour out your complaint to, to the Lord, <clears throat> let me encourage you in this. Pour it out to your, you know, pour it all out. Get rid of all of it. Deal with all of it before God. But don't quit just at the pouring out your complaint. You got to turn the corner in the thing. You got to pour out your complaint and then you got to turn the corner. That's what David does. <clears throat> he says, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Then he says, Attend unto my, cry, unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. So he pours out his complaint to God. He says, God, I have a refuge in you, and I have you as my portion. Now, Lord, would you deliver me from this situation? Would you deliver me from it? Is it okay to ask God to deliver you from a situation? Of course it is. God's a deliverer. Do you know that? That's one of his names. Savior means deliverer. You look at God throughout the Bible. He's always delivering people. You know, all, all our pictures, you know, of the cavalry coming in and the superhero coming in and saving the day, they're all pictures that are really of God because God is the deliverer. God wants to be in your life the deliverer. He wants to step into your life and deliver you. It's okay for you to ask him to deliver you. Don't dictate to him how to do it. I find that doesn't work very well. He doesn't tend to actually uh, like me dictating to him what I want. Uh, <clears throat> don't dictate, but, but listen, he will deliver you. He will deliver you. David asks him to deliver him. And then look at verse 7. Now, verse 7 is pure faith. Verse 7 is God, is David depending upon the goodness of God to do that which is absolutely impossible. On the run from the king, everybody hates him. Everybody's turned their back on him. He's persona non grata. Nobody wants to know him. Look what he says. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Pure faith and nothing else. Do you know what? It happened, though. Do you know that David ends up king of Israel? That he ends up with a much greater empire than Saul ever had? That David ends up with righteous people around him? That David ends up not, not being the person that the whole nation was chasing down, but the pay person that the whole nation is lifting up and putting a crown on his head? Do you know that when God puts you through difficulties, he doesn't intend for you to stay there? He doesn't intend for you to have a life where nothing works and nobody cares and it's all falling apart and the pressure's unbearable and listen, there's no way for this to go. He doesn't intend that. He intends for you to go through it and come through the other end. If you get stuck in it, cry out to him and say, Lord, what gives here? What's going on here? How come I'm stuck in this situation? Because I know this is not your plan. I know this is not all that you have for me. God wants to take you out of that situation and put you in a different place. And faith says, you know what? <clears throat> I won't stay here. I'm going to move on. Now, David's not saying, I'm going to move myself on. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to change this situation. I'm going to make everything. He's not doing that. He's saying, thou, Lord, thou wilt do it. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thee. The righteous shall compass me about for thou shall deal bountifully with me. David knew he couldn't fix the situation himself, that God had to fix it. And one of the lessons you need to learn in, in your troubles and your trials is 
I can't fix them. God has to fix them. I can't sort my situation out. God has to sort my situation out. And you know, that's where David excelled. Because David was a man after God's own heart. He knew God and he trusted God. And again and again, he's going to come back to that place of trust. He's going to get it wrong. He's going to blow it literally royally. But you know, when he blows it, he's going to come back to that place of trusting in God and depending upon God. I can't, Lord, but you can. And that's the life we need to live. We need to live a life where we're trusting in him, where we're not making it happen, where we're not going our own way and doing our own thing, where we're trusting in him. See, David is going to see great days. God's going to work it out for him. You know what? The place you're in today is not the place where you're going to stay. You need to cry out to him and trust that he will change it and he will make it better. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this evening and thank you, Lord, for your word. Now, Lord, would you help us? Help us to be a people, Lord, who when we have problems and troubles and difficulties, bring our problems and troubles and difficulties to you. Lord, would you help us to be a people, Lord, that count on you to be our, our strength, to be our refuge, to be uh, our portion in the land of the living. And, oh, Lord, would you help us by faith to know that the trials are not at all, that you have more for us, and, Lord, to depend by faith on you to lift us out of it. And, Lord, may we be a glorious people, Lord, uh, your people in a dark world, living in victory, in Jesus' name, amen.